Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. And now, story time with Pierre Polyev. Once upon a time, there were a group of candle makers that talked of a grave threat to their industry. And who was that competitor? Why, the sun! The sun was firing beams right through the windows of uh, homes in French villages across the countryside. So their solution was to ban windows. And that is exactly what we're getting from the large broadcasting and entertainment corporations. They're trying to block the windows to keep the light and the fresh air out so that they can dominate the candle making, or in their case, the news and culture making business. They don't want more Canadian culture. What will change is that instead of having algorithms that give people things they want to see, there will be algorithms that give people things the government wants them to see and the government will operate through the CRTC, a large, woke government agency that will manipulate algorithms to promote so-called Canadian content. What is Canadian content? Well, they can't tell us. Look at the words of Margaret Atwood, who actually said that this bill represents creeping totalitarianism. When the government decides what the people can see and say, then freedom of expression will not be long 
to live in this country. And ironically, this will run against everything that the parties claim to say they want. They claim they're for diversity. Diversity is our strength, says the Prime Minister. Yet, this bill, by giving a small oligopoly control over what Canadians see on the internet, will mean obviously less diversity, because it will be only the programming that they favor. Do you think the ethnocultural publications are going to get the same deal from the CRTC, that the CBC, that Bell Canada, that Rogers and other telecommunications behemoths are, are going to get? Of course not. Do you think that specialty cultural products, like for example, you, know, you think of a, a Jewish community who likes klezmer, the, uh, the, the, the wonderful, um, uh, wonderful Jewish jazz music, might not have a big enough audience to generate political power at the CRTC. That music will not be considered Canadian enough. Conservatives have an answer. We will repeal this anti-speech censorship law and restore freedom of expression on the internet right across Canada. Well, that story got weird. I, for one, reject this woke, totalitarian, klezmer-free nightmare Canada. But of course, the dystopic future that conservative leader Pierre Polyev describes to Parliament in that speech is paranoid, hyperbolic, cynical, and frankly, absurd. I mean, everybody knows. Klezmer music isn't going anywhere. However, there are less batshit criticisms of Bill C-11. A few weeks back, we brought you a report from our audio editor, Tristan Capicione, that explored the pre-existing problems with the CanCon system, a system that Bill C-11 wants to protect and prolong. But we didn't get into all of the problems that people are raising with this bill. Here is Senator Paula Simons. Bill C-11 will not censor nor regulate your free speech. It will not allow the government to take down your critical tweets. It will not allow the CRTC to micromanage your Facebook feed. It is not a communist plot. It is not a conspiracy dreamt up by the World Economic Forum. It is not the work of the Illuminati. I myself do not support Bill C-11 in its current form, but I am interested in analyzing its actual flaws, and there are plenty, and not in indulging in the rhetoric of political hysteria, which has been whipped up around this piece of legislation and used as a boogeyman to frighten and divide Canadians. This kind of online protectionism could backfire internationally and keep CanCon trapped in a kind of regional tidal pool, cultural backwater and deny Canada's brilliant digital-first producers a chance to compete for international attention and international revenue. Huh. We'll be trapped in a cultural backwater. That future might not be as frightening as one in which Canada becomes a klezmer-free Republic of Gilead, but for Canadians who work in creative industries, cultural backwaters still sounds pretty scary. Senator Paula Simons has been on this show before. She is a politician, but we forgive her for that here because she used to be a journalist, which means that she'll always really be a journalist. And that means that she's been an uncommonly forthcoming, expressive, and loudmouthed senator. Her words, not mine. She's no rubber stamper. She's not afraid to make use of the power of the Senate. She tried to fix Bill C-11 
the Online Streaming Act, with a key amendment designed to ensure that it would not harm digital creators. Liberal Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez rejected that amendment. And according to the Globe and Mail, that put C-11 on a collision course with the Senate. Now, it would be highly unusual for the Senate to kill a piece of legislation at this stage. But they could. So will they? Senator Paula Simons joins me in a minute. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Aaron Donovan, Carrie Lee, Elad Arbel, Felicity Raiden, Michael Albert, Tiago Taborda, Dorian Kay, and Quinn. Hi, my name is Quinn, and I'm a university professor living in Ontario, but I'm originally from Winnipeg, Manitoba. I support Canada Land because of the fantastic investigative journalism and shows like Thunder Bay, White Saviors, and all of the Commons shows. I appreciate that Jesse has started letting go of control and highlighting new voices, including Sarah Larniak, Emily Nicola, and Jonathan Goldsby. Keep up the good work, team. Hi, Senator Simons. Hello. I want to talk with you today about Bill C-11. And I got to tell you, we try to be thoughtful here about uh, disclosing any conflicts and positioning ourselves so that the listener knows where we're coming from. And figuring that out in this instance is very complicated. C-11... We recently did an episode about, I thought it was about CanCon and bringing the CanCon regime into the digital age. And I thought, okay, at least that one, it's got nothing to do with Canada land. It's got nothing to do with my business. I can just approach this as a journalist. I just listened to a speech that you gave about your concerns with Bill C-11. And I'm actually not sure I might have to disclose something because I thought that this was a bill that was just supposed to affect the Netflixes and Disney's of the world. And then I heard you raising concerns that that might not be the case. And that had me wondering if, in fact, this does impact my business. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those concerns as to who this bill might, I guess, inadvertently target? Well, inadvertently or not so inadvertently. So C-11 is the online streaming bill. There's a whole, uh, you know, river of discourse online that it's a censorship bill, that it deals with free speech, that it's going to take down political speech. I remember Andrew Scheer at one point, you know, tweeted, this will be the last time I'm able to tweet something like this. That is nonsense. It is not a bill about censoring political speech. It is a bill about regulating online streaming and trying to make online streaming part of the CanCon universe, as your previous podcast dealt with. So in theory, it deals with Netflix, Spotify, Tidal, Disney, Amazon, all the big streaming services. But there is a clause in the bill, section 4.2.2, that says that the CRTC at its discretion can include people who use streaming services to distribute content. And this is the problem. Section 4 of the bill, I don't want to get too in the weeds here, says there's an exemption for social media users. And then section 4.2.2 says, but it depends on how much revenue they generate directly or indirectly. So at committee, we heard from dozens of witnesses who market themselves and their content on platforms such as Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, who said, we are worried that we are captured by this, 
that even though the minister, Pablo Rodriguez, has said repeatedly that this is about platforms and not about content generators, that there is clearly in the bill a section that leaves open the possibility of user-generated content being scoped in. And so together with my Senate colleague, Senator Judy Mizeldechen, who, like me, is a, a former journalist, uh, you know, she was a reporter with Radio Canada, we came up with an amendment that we thought neatly solved this problem because it's clearly scoped out social media users and people who create user-generated content. But it kept in YouTube and TikTok as platforms when they post, for example, you know, if Warner or Sony is using YouTube as an analog to Spotify to post whole recordings, or if Rogers is replaying a sports game on YouTube or Facebook. So we said, look, if you are commercial music content, you should be in. If you are a broadcast program that is being repurposed, you should be in. But we should not be capturing people who use social media platforms for their short-form video, for their stand-up comedy, for their influencer pieces, for their gaming. That should not be included. We felt that that was a reasonable amendment. Unfortunately, uh, it seems the government does not. And that amendment was rejected. But what does it mean to be scoped in? What does it mean to be targeted? It doesn't sound nice to be scoped in or targeted. Well, it depends who you ask. I mean, if you are a commercial uh, musician in Quebec, you say you want to be scoped in because you want to get all the benefits that come with a CanCon-friendly regime. So you want YouTube to have to treat you the way other commercial music is treated, say, by Spotify. If you are an independent vlogger or you're using TikTok to do stand-up comedy, or you're posting videos of your YouTube cooking show, then you might not want to be included because the argument we got from those independent creators is that if they are sort of put into a CanCon uh, title pool on YouTube, that they may not get the international traffic that they want. Why? Why? Because... Well, here's the explanation we got from one Quebec YouTuber. He said, you know, I do posts about rap. And if you goose the algorithm so that it goes to Canadians or French Canadians, and those French Canadians happen to be opera fans and they are not interested in rap, then they will not click. And the algorithm will think, oh, I guess this must be bad content that nobody wants to see. Oh. Yeah. So the concern is... If you're the kind of person who is trying to reach a global market, you may find the protectionism of a CanCon paradigm is actually working against your efforts to generate international audiences and international revenue. And so you really have a cultural clash, I think, between two visions of what a Canadian artist is. You know, Canadian artists who have always benefited from the promotion that came with CanCon regulation versus a newer generation of artists. And that's not necessarily chronologically newer, but, you know, a, a new world outlook that says we want to compete in an international marketplace. We want international audiences for our content. And we're afraid that if we are included as independent producers and I mean, I keep saying cooking shows because I'm making asabuco in the kitchen right now and I can smell it and I'm thinking that I could do the senator who cooks. But, you know, there are all kinds of YouTube programs and there are all kinds of TikTok and Instagram influencers who don't see themselves making CanCon. They see themselves making content 
you know, if you're posting nothing but cute videos about your dog, maybe you don't care about getting uniquely Canadian viewers. You are just as happy for somebody in Botswana to watch it. But some of the creators who were concerned about being targeted are not just doing this for fun as hobbyists. They're actually building wonderful international audiences and businesses. They, they rely on international audiences to make a living. Precisely. And you might think that they would like this because the idea is, oh, we're going to prioritize you under discoverability. We're going to force YouTube to prioritize your stuff. And now I'm learning from you that, that they're actually saying, no, thank you. I'm, I'm doing just fine, thank you very much, on this platform based on the quality of my content. And if you force feed this to Canadians and they don't click, that'll tell the algorithm that my content is unwanted and that actually might hurt my overall global reach. That is exactly the argument. You have explained it in a far more lucid way than I did. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. Being targeted and scoped has that intended benefit that might actually backfire and hurt, does it come with responsibilities? If you are targeted and scoped, does that mean you have to pay into the CanCon system? Well, using common sense, the answer would be no. The idea is to make Netflix pay in and Disney pay in, not to make individual producers pay in, in the same way that if you're an independent filmmaker, you don't have to pay in, you take out. So what the YouTube creators are saying is, great, the Canada Media Fund, that's very nice for filmmakers. There isn't very much government support for us. So now you're putting us in a position where we may be penalized by being kept in a, you know, a tidal pool of, you know, nice, warm Canadian content. But where is the benefit to us in this system? So clearly... I mean, the CRTC under this system retains the discretion to say, no, we're not putting Paula Simon's senator in the kitchen show. You know, she's not going to have to pay in. Individual content creators shouldn't have to pay in. But people are concerned and have raised concerns, which may or may not be valid, that they may have to report their Canadianness. You know, YouTube says, how are we supposed to know who's Canadian? I don't find that a terribly persuasive argument. I think YouTube, Facebook, all of these people know more about us than our spouses and our parents do, right? I mean, I, 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 think, I think they know exactly who I am and where I live and what I shop for. You know, so I'm not persuaded by the argument that everybody is going to have to register so that YouTube knows who's Canadian. But I think there are a lot of unanswered questions. And when there is uncertainty, there is nervousness. I don't think that the bill should apply to small independent producers who are using YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter to distribute their content. Uh -huh. I think that's ridiculous. And I think they should be scoped out of the bill. And we should be dealing with the content on YouTube that is clearly analogous to conventional commercial streaming. Okay, let me further complicate this. Because this whole thing imagines like amateurs on the one end and then these massive companies on the other. What about a company like mine that's in between? Well, exactly. Yeah. We're told that we should probably be on YouTube. A lot of people listen to podcasts on YouTube. We're talking about it. So let's say we put our podcasts on YouTube and YouTube gets scoped into this. And that means that uh, in addition to having to pay into the CanCon system, they also have to make CanCon more discoverable. And if they're making CanCon more discoverable, then they have to know what's CanCon. And by what you're describing, let's not include all of those, you know, basement creators. They don't want to be in it. They're not in it. But then you've got these Canada Land podcasts. We are independent. We are small. We are certainly Canadian. We are commercial. Yep. We are reaching millions of people. I don't want some CanCon game show to get fed to people in a slot that would have been Canada Land 
being suggested to people by the YouTube algorithm. So do I want to be in this? That's that's a fascinating philosophical question. Some people do, some people don't. That's why we tried to find a paradigm that would include the people who most wished to be included, which were the commercial, not the record labels, but the musicians. Who wants this? That musicians want this? TV shows want this? Like anybody who's making screen content that shows up on YouTube and Netflix, they want their stuff to be pushed forward to Canadians. They've been pushing for, mm. yes, no, I don't know. Mm, not necessarily. It depends, which is why the government was in a very invidious position and why we attempted to give them a little help. Because the question becomes, you know, once you make the metric, whether they directly or indirectly generate revenue, that captures a lot of people. So I don't think that should be the metric. But, the but that is the metric. And they, and, and they rejected your amendment. And we directly get revenue. So we are, we're in this. Well, I mean, podcasts were never, because I make my own podcast, it's called Alberta Unbound. It is excellent. There's my free plug. Uh, it obviously does not generate revenue because it would be clearly do trop for a senator to try and monetize her Senate podcast. That would be very bad. But I really tried to get clarity about podcasts. You know, when Spotify came before us as witnesses, you know, when I tried to speak to people from Apple, it's very unclear to me where podcasts fit into all of this. Even more confusing because so many podcasts are on YouTube and ours might be soon as well. Yeah. So if it's on Spotify, is it included? I mean, Spotify is scoped in, but all the emphasis in the creation of the bill, all the focus was on the music content and not on the spoken word content. I mean, the truth of the matter is that C11 is a very broad regulatory framework. It doesn't answer a lot of these questions. Some of these questions will be answered in regulation, and some of them will be answered by the CRTC as they work through the meaning of this bill. And this is one of the challenges I have learned after four years in the Senate, is that you don't always get a black and white answer where, you know, they're, they're, you know it's a three-page bill, its meaning is very clear, you pass it, and you're on to the next thing. This is kind of like... I mean, I don't want to call it a ticking time bomb. That's not the right metaphor. It's like an amorphous 20-legged, you know, cephalopod kind of thing. And we're throwing, you know, we've released the crack and it will go to the CRTC to try and figure out. And it will be a few years, I think, and there will be some test cases before the CRTC figures out what exactly is in and what exactly is out. And, you know, frankly, they're going to have to come up with bespoke obligations for the big streamers, you know, for Netflix, for example, Netflix has made it plain to us that what it would like to do is to produce more Canadian content in-house. And it would like a relaxation in the intellectual property provisions. You know, they would like to be able to do more original content in Canada, and that would be their content. If they're going to be forced to pay for CanCon, then they want to make the CanCon that they want to make. Yeah, and they want to monetize it, and they want to get all the brownie points. Uh -huh. If you're Disney... They make lots of content in Canada. None of it is considered CanCon because Disney hangs on to its IP. So they make a film like Turning Red. I mean, what could be more Canadian than Turning Red, except it isn't because it's Disney product. So Disney would be more comfortable putting money into a production fund than trying to make Disney-branded content in Vancouver. So each streamer is going to respond in a different way. You know, for, for Spotify... They're obviously not going to have the same kind of CanCon regulations that a radio station would, but they may be happy to do more discoverable Canadian content to create, you know, more playlists that are Canadian to really, you know, to invest money in new Canadian production. So 
That is the challenge with C11 is that it's like that metaphor of 10 blind men describing an elephant, each looking at a different part of the animal. So if you're into tusks, there might be something for you. If they're, if you know, if you're a, a tail guy, it, it's, it's, it's going to look completely different. I mean, different. We've, got, we've got centipedes and elephants and octopi. And my dog who has quieted down nicely now. This episode is brought to you by Article, uh, probably starting to think about spring cleaning. And when spring cleaning time comes, that's when I realize, damn, I need more storage stuff. Article has everything you need to organize your bedroom, your living room, or your dining room with storage stuff, dressers, nightstands, sideboards, and more. They've got all the other furniture that you could want to get your space looking its best. Also, like, look at outdoor furniture. It's a good time to buy that. Listen, Article is fantastic. Their stuff is stylish, and they're offering a fantastic deal for listeners of this podcast. And that deal is this, $50 off of your first purchase of $100 or more. Depending on what you buy, that's like a 50% discount. To claim it, visit article.com slash CanadaLand, and the discount will be automatically applied when you go to checkout. That's A-R-T-I-C-L-E dot com slash CanadaLand for 50 bucks off of your first purchase of $100 or more. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And uh, it's available here in Canada. And this time of year, we're all emerging from our, our winter like seclusion and, uh, you know, patio season and, and socializing. And it can be terrifically fun, but it can also create a lot of pressure. And some people get like anxiety, social anxiety from being out too much. What did Iggy Pop say about social life? It's torture dressed as fun. It doesn't need to be torture. I think it's just about finding like the right balance uh, of, of how much of other people do do you want? I mean, we need each other, but I think that at a certain point it can become overwhelming and talking to somebody about yourself, about your social life, about your relationships, um, is a way of gaining insight into what is right for you. It's not selfish to examine that with a professional. And as the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Listeners of the show get 10% off of their first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's better H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. I know that, that some people see this as like, um, it's the lifeline that keeps a, an enduring system going, but you know, you've raised concerns. I mean, I think you put it in pretty stark terms. You said in the Senate that you worry that this kind of protectionism could backfire and turn Canada into a cultural backwater. How could that happen? What's the worry there? Well, I mean, the worry there is, as we've discussed, if you have sort of a sheltered workshop for Canadian production and it gets promoted to Canadians and the algorithm 
reads that in a prejudicial way. Now, I mean, there are ways around that. I mean, as we have seen demonstrated in just the last couple of weeks, when Google wants to play with the algorithm and not tell us what they're doing, they're quite capable of, I think the technical word on the prairie is dicking around with the algorithm to see what will happen. Yeah, that's what they say on the, on the prairie about the algorithms. Yeah. 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 So yeah, when, when we're out in the back 40, that's how, <laughs> that's how we're talking about things. But back on the home quarter, it's entirely possible that people could design algorithms that don't create this backlash. You know, it was a little bit disingenuous, I think, when some of these big companies came before us and said, oh, the algorithm is pure. You know, we mustn't touch the algorithm. Yeah. The algorithm is just, you know, the AI oracle tells you what you should watch. I mean, we've seen very clearly demonstrated in just the last couple of weeks that that's nonsense. So can they make the algorithm to give discoverable Canadian content without prejudicing Canadian content? I bet they can. The challenge, as I say, with C-11 is that it's a very organic piece of legislation that is going to evolve over the next two to three years. And people who think it's going to be a magical cornucopia of funding for Canadian production, I think, are going to be quite frustrated because it is going to take, A, years before this money comes to fruition. B, you know, the big streamers have kind of swallowed hard and, and agreed that they will do this. But for the little guys, it's going to be a long time before this shakes out and we see what it actually looks like. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm Cassandra and this is all going to be tickety-boo for Canadian production. But C-11 is a very complicated, multifaceted piece of legislation. And until we see the language on regulation from the government, and until we see the first few, you know, CRTC interpretations of the legislation, we're not really going to know what it means. The algorithm, I think you're absolutely right. They've treated it as if it's some sort of like, it has a mind of its own. It can't be tampered with. We just set it in motion. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And it does what it does. And in fact, of course, it just does what people told it to do. And they can tell it to do whatever. I think that what's actually happening, to be a bit speculative about this, is that that is their secret sauce. That is what makes them gazillions of dollars. And they will do anything to keep it out of the purview of regulation where government might even like lift up the hood and have a look and see what it's thinking, what it's doing. And they consider that to be their intellectual property of, uh, and trade secret of the highest order. Yep. And so in order to get ahead of this, they're saying, look, what is the outcome you want? We'll do it ahead of time. The first thing Netflix did when there was murmurings of this legislation was they said, look, we'll pump tons of money into Canadian content. We'll put it on our front page. If that's what you want, you got it. And now all of the streamers have a row of, you know, their Canadian stuff, you know, discoverability. Here it is. It's right at the top. If it has Ryan Reynolds in it, boy, I have been served so much Ryan Reynolds <laughs> in the last six months. I mean, every second recommendation I get on any platform is a Ryan Reynolds movie. I don't know that I, I mean, great guy. Is that all CanCon? Probably not. But, you know, they're, they're all trying. I wondered the extent to which they're actually creating this big ignorable box that people are like, oh, yeah. Each one of my streaming things that I pay for has this box here. I ignore it because that's where the crappy stuff goes. I don't. Uh, there's lots of good stuff in there too. But you're not saying watch this because it's as good as this Hollywood stuff. Watch this because this is what's trending. Watch this because this is what's hot. They're saying here's the Canada corner. And they're sort of branding our stuff in that way. And they don't release any statistics on what's doing well and why. So we don't really know. But I would be really curious to know how that stuff is doing. I mean, if you watch Schitt's Creek and you like Schitt's Creek and the algorithm says, oh, maybe you'd like Kim's Convenience. You know, the algorithm is probably right. Maybe I would like Kim's Convenience. But 
you know, when I go downstairs with my husband, you know, you don't say, we're in the mood for some CanCon tonight. You say, we're in the mood for a detective show or a science fiction show or, I don't know. I mean, I'm a Canadian content producer. I'm a big fan of CanCon. People don't program their entertainment choices like that. What they want to see is is something, you know, like what they want to see. And these platforms are Hollywood high-tech at its cutting-edge finest. And then we come in with, like, it's already being done through market interference. They're not putting the Canada box there because that is aligned with their engagement algorithm results. It's to get ahead of this legislation. And what I wonder is, are they not risking, like, you've got organically— a dynamic content creation universe that has popped up, an industry that's popped up in Canada. Podcast is one teeny part of it. There's a whole bunch of YouTubers of, of international acclaim. Canadians are making stuff en masse that's getting seen by the globe. And what the digital creators are saying are, we're just fine, thank you very much. I wonder if this stuff isn't like, you know, galumphing into a dynamic marketplace where Canadians can and do compete and then just painting us with the boring Canada brush. And I'll admit, I've overstated things in the past where I have such negative associations with Canadian TV and film growing up. It's like, that's the low budget stuff that was always forced. Like, <laughs> that it's, it's, it's anti-marketing. You're actually making me less engaged and interested in watching it when you put it into that kind of, you know, framework. It's like a genre that I don't want to mess with. And it shouldn't be that way. I mean, my Netflix, because I watched Extraordinary Attorney Wu, my Netflix now believes that I'm deeply interested in Korean television. And because I watched Korean television, Netflix decided I might want to see some Nigerian legal dramas. And that was interesting, right? So, I mean, if we make great content, then, you know, country of origin labeling shouldn't be a problem because somebody in Britain or somebody in the United States or someone in Australia who likes Schitt's Creek might very well enjoy Kim's Convenience. So, I mean, if we make great quality programming, we should be proud of it and happy to promote it. But you're right. If you fill out the rest of the bar with substandard content, mm -hmm. then all of it gets a bad reputation. That said, the other day, Netflix said to me, would you like to watch Juice South? Remember Juice South? Remember when Paul Gross was so cute? And I said, yeah, Netflix. Actually, this show has aged surprisingly well. I mean, the, the video quality has degraded, like the actual picture on your screen looks like crap. But look, there's Paul Gross, there's Leslie Nielsen, there's Gordon Pinsent. It was actually a lot of fun to rewatch Juice South, and I probably wouldn't have even thought of it if Netflix hadn't prompted me to look at well, it. Well, this podcast is a safe space where I'm not going to comment on your taste in Canadian television, <laughs> but uh, you make a good point. I mean, you know, regionality is a feature, not a bug in the streaming world. Like, do I want to watch another Scottish murder? Yeah, you have something else from Norway? Sounds good. There are ways in which countries are branding themselves to their benefit, not to their detriment. Yep. And I wonder, like, that kind of hasn't happened. We're still carrying this baggage of, of CanCon, like, beigeness. Well, but I think that's us, too. True confession, I did not start watching Schitt's Creek until my American friends started raving about it. So, you know, we have a bad habit in this country yeah. of discounting our own. This is true. You know, I mean, Three Pines is really, really good. Okay, Jesse didn't like Three Pines. I like Three Pines. To each their own. All right. It's as good as everything else <laughs> out there. Let us have honesty, at least, in this forum. Is it as good as Extraordinary Attorney Wu? It is not. Mm -hmm. I love that show with my whole heart. But does it mean I want to watch, you know, another Korean soap opera? 
Eh, probably not. So let's get to the bottom line here. There's many complications here. You tried to make things a little bit better and at least uh, create some distinctions in an amendment that would just ensure that the concerns of a lot of digital creators who are being told, don't worry, you're not going to be targeted, you're not going to be scoped. So your amendment, to boil it down, basically gave them that assurance concretely, you will not be scoped in. And Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez said, no thanks. He rejected your amendment. And now I read in the Globe and Mail, Heritage Minister rejects key C-11 amendment, puts himself on potential collision course with senators. Oh my goodness, you're on a collision course with Pablo. (laughs) Senator Simons, what is that collision going to look like? What's going to happen now? Well, I think this is is not monster trucks. The Senate suggested 26 amendments. 18 of them have been accepted in whole or in part. That's quite a lot including, you know, a number of other amendments that I proposed. So I'm happy that my other amendments were accepted. The Senate's role is not to defeat legislation just because we don't like it. It's not even to say, you know, this is bad and we could have done a better job. We defeat legislation when it's prima facie unconstitutional. So if this legislation really was the grotesque violation of free speech that a certain corner of the internet would have you believe, then it would be our bounden responsibility to defeat it. I just think it's bad legislation. So we've made it better. 18 solid amendments were accepted. A couple of them were extremely important. And so I'm glad to see the government has accepted those amendments. At the end of the day, though, I don't think it's not going to be a collision so much as a drive-by yelling out the window. I think I got an answer there. It would be like a pretty radical. It would be pretty uncommon, but you could defeat this, but you're not going to. Sure. Hypothetically, but we're not going to. You know, I mean, I don't think I've publicly said how I'm going to vote yet. I think I've been kind of hedgy about it because I still need to listen to the debate in the chamber. You don't like to, you know, want to lay all your cards on the table. But let's just say I would need to be really convinced to change my mind to vote in favor of this bill. But I think for most other senators, they will look and say, okay, 18 amendments were accepted. Amendments were accepted from every single group in the Senate, including the conservatives. There are some really important really important changes that got made, including one amendment I'm very proud of, which was that there was a part of the bill that gave the cabinet the power to intervene in all kinds of CRTC decision-making. And we heard from a number of dispassionate experts who passionately said that this is a very bad idea. And so I put forward the premise that we should simply delete that entire section of the bill. And to my surprise and my pleasure, the government has agreed it was it was bad but legislative drafting in that entire section is now gone. So I don't want to say that the Senate's work went unheard. We heard from 137 witnesses. We had months of hearings. The government has accepted key and critical amendments around privacy protection, around freedom of speech, and around the independence of the CRTC. So this amendment that they have rejected, I'm extremely disappointed. I think the government is making a bad strategic decision. And I think this is going to have negative consequences. I don't think that there are enough people in the Senate who are incensed enough that we could defeat the bill on that basis. I mean, we don't have to defeat the bill outright. We could insist on that amendment and send it back. Are you going to do that? Well, there is no we. Well, you have your vote. I have my vote. And remember, Outside the conservative caucus, every other – and there are about 16 members of the conservative caucus now. Every other senator is an independent. No senator is whipped. No senator votes to order. 
we each make our own independent decisions. So I cannot tell you what the Senate is going to do. I can't even tell you what the independent senators group to which I belong is going to do. I can tell you what I'm going to do. And in fact, I'm not even telling you that, am I? Not yet. You're, you're not going to send that amendment back? I mean, in order to send the amendment back, we would need to have the consensus of the Senate. I can't, I mean, I'm, I am one, one voice, one loud, oh, so articulate voice, but. And what will that loud, articulate voice say? I'm writing the speech, you know, just before we began our conversation, I've been putting the finishing touches on my Bill C-11 message speech, uh, which I hope to give next week. Oh, it's week. a Senate secret. It's a senator secret. It's a senator's secret. I mean, you know, I want to be fair to the government here because, as I say, they did accept. I mean, they made substantive compromises to this bill. Why did they throw this one out? Why, like, if they, they insisted again and again that there's lies and innuendo about this bill. It's not going to capture YouTubers. It's not. And then you said, okay, let's just put that in there. And they said, no, we're not putting that in there. So why? Uh, that's a very good question. I don't think to be, to put back on my hat as a political analyst, which I used to be for a living, I have the impression that there was not unanimity of opinion within the Liberal caucus. Senator, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for making me feel that my work is futile and meaningless. And like Sisyphus, however, I will continue to push the rock up the hill and I will continue to do what I always did as a columnist, which is to make trouble. (laughs) We miss you in journalism, but I know you're doing what you can where you are. That's your Canada land. We really try to give you stuff you're not getting elsewhere and go deeper than other places are going to go so that you understand things. And if you value our work doing that, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for shows like this. As a supporter, you're going to get premium access to all of our shows, ad-free. You'll also get early releases and exclusive content. You'll get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Canada Land merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. More than anything, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. You will be keeping our work free and accessible for everybody. Come join us now. Click on the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read them all. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadaland.com. Tristan Capicione is our audio editor and technical producer. Our managing editor is Annette Ajofor. I'm your host, Jesse Brown. Our theme music is by So-Called. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Prime.